0: Poya. This
1: is Robbie. Welcome to Uncharted and Eclectic. And thanks for joining us again.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Oracle NetSuite. One of the most time-consuming and stressful activities at my last startup was pulling the monthly reports we needed to to prepare for our board meeting. You see, we were using a combination of homegrown solutions, spreadsheets, and QuickBooks and make the mistake of allowing our technology and tech stack to slow us down. Don't make the same mistake we did. Upgrade today with Oracle NetSuite. The beauty of Oracle NetSuite is that it gives you the visibility and control you need over your financials, HR, inventory, sales, and much more. Everything you need, all in one place, instantly. Join over 21,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let their team at NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com/scale. Schedule your free product tour right now at
1: netsuite.com/scale. Welcome back to another episode of Uncharted and Eclectic. I'm really, really excited about today's guest for a lot of reasons. Uh, He's a Bay Area native, um, so we'll get into that. Um, He spent a lot of time in a couple in in SaaS, but also in robotics and and car technology and a lot of other really cool stuff that we'll dive in. Uh, Cass Dawson, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Um, So right off the bat, we were We were catching up a little bit, Cass, um, and talking about where you grew up. Maybe start with the beginning. I'd love to hear the kind of story about um, where you grew up, um, how it shaped you, uh, what your parents did, um, and how you ended up kind of spending some quality time on both coasts of the U.S.
2: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was born in the Bay Area in San Jose. Um, My mom was a young mother. Uh, she, when, after she had me, she was still put herself through college and got into UCSF, uh, medical school, which is if you don't know, or most people know is the, one of the top medical schools in the country. Um, my dad, while she, uh, got into medical school, he got moved, uh, as a lifelong professional with IBM. He got moved to the East coast. Um, So she decided to stay on the West Coast to finish medical school. I joined her there, Um, you know, unique situation. Um, Obviously not a single parent, but for all intents and purposes, you know, treated as such given the fact that my dad was on the East Coast, she was here. Uh, We shared uh, student housing um, up in the hills uh, by Sutro Tower at, uh, at UCSF. And uh, we had a one-bedroom apartment and shared a bunk bed, um, you know, which is uh, you know a, a, certainly a unique experience. And the, but that's kind of how uh, how I cut my teeth and and getting an understanding of you know putting yourself through the trials and tribulations of medical school and doing so as a quote unquote single parent. Right, I, I got a really good taste for that hard work ethic and. An understanding and appreciation for uh, for professionalism, if you will, and 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 realized, you know, I've got super huge shoes to fill as I try and think about what what do I want to do in my career. Um, you know, a a, a um, some a mom as a doctor in the you know in the late '80s, early '90s was certainly a huge. Uh, shoes to fill and huge the aspirational goal for me to try and figure out how do I how do I achieve that right since parents always want their kids to have more it's kind of like what what are you going to do I was like oh boy.
0: (laughs) Cass as you're sharing the story um, I resonate with it a lot because I grew up in Iran parents moved here very very young age and I share the stories because for as long as I can remember we we shared a two apartment building between five people me and my siblings in one, my parents in another room and bunk beds and everything like growing up. So why I share that story is um, that's the chip on my shoulders that I always have, like do more for your parents, the sacrifices they've made. Do you you have that kind of chip on your shoulders as well? Like, is that like, frankly, sometimes what motivates you to,
2: I think to do more, um, for my, you know, my wife and I just had our first child this summer, uh, obviously very Congrats. crazy scenario to thank you to have a child in the middle of COVID was, was crazy. Um, I, I think my aspiration is, is to do as much, if not more that my mom did for me. Right. And, and it's interesting because, you know, I, I think. Um, there's a 14 year difference between my myself and my brother, and that 14 years saw me going with my mom as the you know quote unquote single mom through medical school to my brother growing up with a mom who is a you know well uh, respected and and uh, well achieved doctor, uh, cardiologist on the East Coast, right? So he didn't necessarily see a lot of those struggles. And quite honestly, you know, from a certain period in my life, I got, the best of both worlds, right? The the desire and passion of of doing better because we started from you know sharing a bunk bed with your mom to you know growing up in affluent neighborhoods or not growing up but but you know high school in affluent neighborhoods and getting some of the best education as a result of that. Um, so I've I've had both. I don't think I necessarily feel <laughs> Move, seeing the the house that my mom recently built uh, with my dad back in, they, they basically tore our old house down and rebuilt around it to a house that's three times the size. So saying that I want to, you know, uh, pay back my mom for the sacrifices that she made, I feel like, man, I've got a long way to go to achieve that. So I look at it as, as what am I going to do for
1: for my child, as opposed to what can I do for my mom, to be honest with you. But. <laughs> keeping that family momentum going, right. exactly. uh, that, that your mom yeah. got started. So a couple <laughs> quick ones. So it sounds like your mom was at the Parnassus campus for UCSF right yes. over there by Sutro tower. Cool. Right. So I grew up like three blocks away from there in the hate Ashbury raised by a single mother, uh, in a, in a similar neighborhood. And I actually went to school, um, up on Clarendon Avenue, kind of by Sutro tower. I went to a public school there for a little while. And then, um, and then ended up going to a private school similar to you. So like, kind of had that experience of a transition between the two. Um, so it's cool to meet uh, somebody else, I guess, to grew up in the neighborhood, who knew?
2: Nice.
1: Um, nice. So tell us a little bit about, you go to Amherst, have that college experience, and then start working for Mercedes-Benz, like one of the biggest luxury brands that's identified in the entire world. Um, what made you choose that path? And when you look back on the experience at Mercedes Benz, like what was um, maybe like the biggest thing that you learned professionally?
2: You know, I, I think uh, it, it's interesting because it, it doesn't read on my resume or my LinkedIn. But I was um, there was a course at Amherst College that was pre-law. Uh, it was called Law, Jurisprudence, and Social Thought. It was really the sociology behind the decisions that were being made in the landmark uh, cases. Um, and I, at fresh out of college, I went and worked for a law firm and quickly realized that that wasn't what I wanted to do. Again, thinking about, you know, professional dad, career IBM guy, and my mom's a doctor is like, well, you better be something. Um, and so I was like, well, lawyer, right? Like I I saw my mom go through medical school and I was like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Like that that's not what I'm going to do. So I was like, okay, I'll be a lawyer. And, uh, I worked at a law firm out of school as a paralegal for, you know, say my first year and I hated it it was awful um, you know I, I think the it just wasn't me um, and at the same time it was in New York City um, I was doing uh, party promotions concert promotions working with some some big names and we also did a open mic and uh, in, in New York and got a couple of acts signed to some of the major record labels which was huge deal uh, and very kind of rewarding. And I really got the bug for marketing through doing the promotions and work on those, um, on on those, uh, through those endeavors. And that's when I realized, you know, I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to be in a law firm. And I started to explore what options were out there. And I found a marketing opportunity at Mercedes-Benz. And quite honestly, it was that, we'll call it entrepreneurial spirit of doing the party promotions as well as, you know, the, the pedigree of Amherst College um, on my resume that got my foot in the door there. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting because I spent almost 10 years at that company and it was an amazing experience. I got to do a lot of really cool, fun things that a luxury brand allows you to do and opens a lot of doors, uh, but I was never really a car guy. Uh, and and I, I felt a certain way that you know I, I I'm a marketer and there was a couple of instances through that experience where I started to realize that I was doing really cool things but I was still just the Mercedes guy and people wanted to do really cool things because it was the Mercedes guy not because hey Cass has really cool ideas and that's where I was like you know what okay my, I think I'm close to my time being up here because I'm not Really expanding and proving what Cas can do. I'm just exploring what the brand is allowing me to do, and people really just want to work with a brand, which is great, and and certainly got me lots of opportunities. I learned a ton, but you know, I, I really wanted to try and make uh, my own path and and find ways to to really flex my marketing muscle that I thought I had developed. And again, I didn't really feel like I was a car guy, and I was started after 10 years. You start to get pigeonholed, which ended up happening for the next couple of jobs anyway, but you know, you live and you learn. You you live and you learn. And, and uh, the part in your story
0: that resonates, I studied poli-sci thinking I want to go into politics. And next thing you know, I hated it. And I know it's not law, but it's similar. And then I find myself getting into sales and somehow having a good career there, you with marketing. Uh, but the part I love about your story is and the reason I bring that up is I think a lot of people right now, whether they're employed and they're unhappy or they are unemployed and they're looking for like their next career, they're thinking about a career switch. Uh, so I know it's been a couple of years now, but when you were going through that transition period of like kind of thinking about your next step, uh, what suggestions do you have for people? And the reason I bring this up, uh, I think a week ago or two weeks ago, we released an episode with Bridget O'Brien, where she talked about how she moved from uh, being uh, a marine biologist and kind of using those transition skills that she likes into her, in her sales role and kind of doing the job and thriving in that career like what feedback do you have for people maybe that are a little later in their careers that want to make a career switch or a
2: transition i think it's it's really important to believe in yourself and believe in in what you envision for yourself right there are lots of people talk about a vision board and figuring out you know what is it that you see yourself doing in 10 years or 15 years, and how are you going to get there? I think it's important to try and identify what your priorities are, whether that's career specific, you know, and you want to move up the ladder or move up the chain of, of command in a marketing career. For me, my my biggest, and this is gonna sound silly, but my, my driving motivation was to get back out to California. You know, I was I was in New York at the time uh, and, or the, on the East Coast. And I just got tired of of the the not the hustle and bustle, but quite honestly, the weather, right? The the ridiculous winters and the super hot summers. And I was like, you know, my driving thing was I want to be back in California, so I just you know pulled up my roots and and moved back to California and, and started trying to find ways to to explore. Other marketing things. As I mentioned, you know, I, I didn't want to just be the Mercedes guy. So that was important as well. Um, but first and foremost was getting back out to California. Then I found jobs in marketing um, that were allowing me to be a little bit different um, and allowing me to show my skill set and the successes of those companies were reflective less of the brand and more of the some of the work and effort that I was putting in. Uh, and the teams that I was working with were putting in, which I think was really important. And then I ended up at Facebook very similarly as a, a huge brand. And so it's like, well, what are you talking about, Cass? <laughs> like, um, it, that you end up at Facebook. That's the similar scenario as being a huge luxury brand and the brand that kind of does itself. Um, but, you know, it was uh, at that time um, for me, Facebook was you know, the work that I was doing prior to that we started having clients ask a ton about uh, user data and a ton about what your social strategy was. And so it was a no-brainer to explore opportunities at Facebook because it seemed like that was the crux of what everybody was looking to do anyway. Uh, and so it just felt like, let's go try this out.
1: Like one of the consistent themes that I've been hearing throughout the Journey is like kind of this self-discovery of who you are and what you really want to be working on and like going through that process personally whether it was you know um uh you know living with your mom when she was getting her phd in san francisco you know getting graduating and, and going into law and understanding that like maybe that's not for you um learning a ton at mercedes-benz you come back to facebook um there for a little while and then um tell us it's about did you, uh, did you take a little bit of a gap there and if so, like what what tell us about that like I, we, a couple of the most recent guests we've had um, have talked to us about working for themselves. We've had a couple guests who took a sabbatical and like across the board one of the themes we hear is like that headspace has been like really pivotal for a lot of people as they look ahead to what they want to be doing. I'd love to get your perspective on that cast after you after you had that you know 12, 15 years out of school um, working you know heads down, um, what that was for you and what it meant to you.
2: Man, uh, it, it, that's deep and loaded, and I'll try to get into it as much as I can. Um, for me, I had, when I left Mercedes and moved out to California, um, I took a job at a small shop that was an event company. And quite honestly, they were probably smaller than they thought. And they, it was right before, you know, it was in 2007 2008 and so the recession hit and the first thing to be eliminated from people's marketing budgets was events because they are so expensive per uh capture and so as an event company we got kicked in the teeth and it was like all right you've got to go do something else mr dawson and that's what was my first foray into exploring you know can i do some consulting on the side Um, and what opportunities are out there. And it really allowed me to to kind of flex my own muscles and see where my personal brand had landed and and what my feelers could land or get me. Uh, I helped a friend uh, start a multicultural advertising business, and we pitched Nissan, and they won the Nissan account for $50 million, which was a huge deal. And they asked me if I wanted to join them, but it meant moving to Tennessee. And as I mentioned before, I spent I wanted so badly to be back in California, that wasn't an option for me. Um, So I continued to consult and do some of that stuff on the side. Um, So when I, when I left Facebook, I still had some of those chops Continued to flex some of that muscle, but I was also burnt, right? I I got back into Facebook, um, still cars, right? So it was another five years after the 10 years of Mercedes-Benz still being a car guy. And I was just like, "I'm, I'm not a car guy right? Like I love the really fancy luxury cars. I love the the opportunities that Mercedes allows you to drive a Mercedes Benz, but I'm not the guy that's going to be under the hood trying to tinker with this car and and see what fancy stuff I can do with it on my own. I feel bad for my son. I'm not going to, you know, go into the garage with him and build a kit car. That's never going to be who we are. And so I I did some consulting at that time, but I also wanted to just reset myself and (laughs) Interestingly enough, um, when I was at Mercedes, I picked up cycling. Um, randomly, we sponsored a, uh, a charitable bike ride from New York to D.C. on the one-year anniversary of September 11th. And um, my boss at the time challenged me, you know, hey, we'll sponsor this with you, but you better do it. And I'd never ridden a bike before in my life. Um, but as a, a former athlete, I was very proud in the, my ability to be able to do lots of things like that. Uh, no problem. I'll ride 280 miles on a bike on a, over a weekend. That's know, it's easy to do. Uh, but I fell in love with cycling. And so one of the things that I did um, was I got certified as a spin instructor and I did um, spin instruction during my, high, my sabbatical, if you will, um, which was great. It's a great outlet. Um, It's a lot of fun, it's really rewarding to see uh, and get feedback from people who are taking your class for whatever reason, right? Like from the, the woman who comes up to me after class in tears because she's been struggling with finding an outlet since her mom passed away to a person who's dealing with breast cancer and the, the, the leukemia treatments, and both of them saying this is one of the few things that has put a smile back on my face, right? There's just different levels of reward that really kind of kept me going and, and inspired me, but it was also just a physical outlet. And I quickly realized, man, my brain is feeling like mush if I just do spin class and put playlists together all the time. And so I was ready for a new challenge to really kind of wrap my head around and and get back into um, marketing. And that's when uh, the SoftBank's role came around. And and what a
0: great outlet. It's exactly where we wanted to go anyway. Um, Looking at the SoftBank robotics uh, experience, like what really stood out to me is when you bring up anything about automation, right? You get one side that's like, it's a threat, it's gonna replace humans, and then you get this other side, no, it actually makes things efficient for every one job lost, it just means another one is gained, so on and so forth, right? Um, The question I have specifically, when you have people that are like, they have their biases, right? And Mm -hmm. they're completely view what you guys do as a threat, and maybe they sometimes have to be a customer, um, as, a market, as a marketer, how do you combat this, right? Like, in other words, like another way of kind of positioning this, that's an objection, right? That you have to kind of overcome. Um, yeah. What strategies do you have to kind of change that mindset and change that behavior in your customers or future customers?
2: So there, there's multiple things that that brands should do. And I think this is really important for Silicon Valley. Um, and there are companies that do very well and companies that don't. Um, we'll, I'll start on that side. That's if you are in some area where you're potentially impacting the job market, whether that's a task or a complete and total job, you are responsible for helping level up the communities and and humanity uh, as a part of what you're doing. And so I think what we tried to do was, was acknowledge the fact that there are tasks that are being taken away, not necessarily full jobs, we'll get to that in a second, but as such, we need to take responsibility and make sure that we're playing a role in the future education of those people who are going to be the new workforce um, in, in the space of automation or robotics. And so we, 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 we stepped in that and, and tried to really put our, our foot forward there. Also, it's important to educate the existing workforce and make sure that they're caught up and have an understanding of what's going on why is this important and and get them bought into what it is that's happening and also what role they can continue to play now for us specifically our robots we had a humanoid robot um, pepper we have uh, a a, autonomous vacuum sweeper right now a solution called Wiz. neither of those is replacing a human these are literally managing tasks. They're taking simple and repetitive tasks that quite honestly, human workers don't wanna do anyway or or get fed up doing or tired doing whatever. And so the idea with automation and where it really benefits us all is you're taking those menial tasks, uh, repetitive tasks and allowing the human workforce to up level the things that they focus on and can do on a daily basis. And that's the pitch that we have constantly had Um, And and that's that's plain and simple. And the idea of cobotics is one where humans are working alongside the way we crafted Wiz as a vacuum sweeper is one where it needs a human to start it. Well, first, it needs a human to train it. So it's a teach and repeat model where it's an autonomous vacuum sweeper, but you have to show it the first route and then it just maps that and memorizes it and does it over and over again on its own, uh, avoiding obstacles if there are any or people or whatever the case may be. But a person has to train it, then a person has to start it. If there's an issue with the bag, a person has to replace the bag. Uh, If there's an issue with the battery, the person has to replace the battery. Mm -hmm. Person basically is is making sure it's getting the job done. Um, Now, what it is doing, and especially in the world of of, uh, existing COVID or what we're working on, or hopefully will be post-COVID at some point, is a space where we all know that the places and spaces we go, whether that's work or a retail environment, we want to know that it's clean. We want to know that it's continually being cleaned, especially as more and more people are going through there. That's what the beauty of what automation can offer. It, it is doing that continuous clean without risk to a human worker. And at the same time, it's also providing the data to showcase what was done. That's the proof of, hey, we did this and we're continuing to do that. So. It's really interesting to see that during a pandemic, you know, the, the discussion around automation has shifted a little bit, where there's more openness to it because of the contactless needs that we all have. And, and as such, I think it's it's made more people, businesses, um, places of work, et cetera, more open to automation and less concerned and at least understanding now of the idea that it's cobotics and working alongside as opposed to job replacement.
1: Yeah, Cass, that was that was a fun journey to go with you on right there. Uh, You've clearly <laughs> got a lot of expertise on this, and. I think one place my mind went. I think with the election looming next week, was uh, I don't know how much you're familiar with Andrew Yang, who's presidential candidate, who like promoted a lot of stuff about like universal basic income, with the kind of basic premise that yes, there is a lot of robotics coming to replace kind of standard, uh, you know, jobs that, that are that are repetitive tasks, whether that's you know kind of blue collar in a in a factory line or uh, you know fast food or whatever the case may be. Um, but I think, and I think a lot of people have resistance to that like you said but to hear the flip side of like you know the reality is like we we need more you know we need to be focused in some cases on bigger things so i think there's there's probably a whole nother conversation to unpack there but but i want to shift gears because i think there's like a really interesting part of your background that um our audience will likely value quite a bit and so like looking at your career you've been a big champion of supporting all people from various backgrounds so for instance you know you helped create the students of mixed heritage at amherst college uh, that community created and managed the philanthropic initiative for mercedes-benz to focus on you know education initiatives like help get underserved uh, communities to the starting line and now you actually serve at softbank or at least part of your role is is a head of diversity and inclusion softbank's you know a household name in the technology industry i, I guess my question is as somebody who has owned this and pushed this conversation forward at some of the biggest brands, household names that, that we've all heard of, how do you advise people get the entire company on board with diversity and inclusion? Like how, how can folks learn how to drive that conversation?
2: Man, it, it, it's different everywhere you go, right? And again, like this could be a whole nother podcast discussion um, just, just in that path, right? So if you go back to at school um it was easy because i feel like there was a new generational shift of kids who had mixed heritage right so the poya uh, you, you talk about your background my mom is first generation palestinian american and so i'm half palestinian half half black and i was seeing a lot of other students um who were half of something or other right there's lots of of uh Italian and black or, or Asian and black or Asian and, and some other mix. And it was um, it was important to me because you had a bunch of different groups existing, um, you know, the black student union, the Asian student union, um, the, and, and each of them had their own houses on campus also, but there wasn't a place for people to have conversations about what it's like to be from both sides or two different sides. And so we, we realized there's an opportunity to have representation. And I think that's stuck with me throughout my career is, is making sure that there's representation and that people have a voice and feel comfortable sharing their voice or at least expressing their story or that they have the opportunities that may not be afforded to them because of whatever situation it, it exists, whether it's a racial thing, uh, a, a economic thing, and so when I when I got to Mercedes, it was interesting. Um, you know, there wasn't really a, a true philanthropic effort beyond the matching donations, and so just randomly, I started within the organization um, a a uh, a Christmas in July program where we collected gifts to share with uh, the the cancer unit at a local children's hospital. And the entire company got behind it. And it was great to see how how many toys we were able to collect in in the summertime to take to these kids and then going and delivering them to the kids. And I realized that the company had heart. And so I I approached um, executive management there and said, look, this would be an important thing, I think, for us as an organization to get behind some of these philanthropic efforts. And they said, okay, well, what does that mean to you? And so they helped create a position Um, in corporate social responsibility and I helped define kind of driving that but again it was more about being the voice of those underserved so for Mercedes it was let's get the underserved communities to the starting line and we started going to schools in in underserved neighborhoods when I was at Mercedes we were in Montvale very affluent neighborhood in New Jersey but we were still in the tri-state area so we went into New York City we found schools in Brooklyn and Harlem and what have you and started making sure that that they were getting the tools to catch them up, whether that was laptops, um, uh, uh, tablets, whatever the case. We also started donating uh, cars to some of the vocational schools. And so it was just about creating opportunity, creating discussion and involvement. and then, quite honestly, this this has been a really tumultuous summer. Not just because of the election, but all the things that are going on with racial racial issues in, in our own country. And um, it speaks very clearly to me, um, obviously. And, and I was also um, you know, we were about to give birth to our first child, and it was like, man, what 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 in the world are we doing? What we're about to bring a child into this crazy, mixed up madness. Um, and so it was, you know, I, I struggle a little bit with, with the pushing or driving that initiative, being the, the black guy at the company. It's like, well, of course you're gonna push that. And so um, there was a lot of buy-in from, the, from other leaders in the organization, like, hey, there's a lot going on in the world right now. It's a good time to start talking and, and we should be a part of it. And so we decided as a, as a team that this was an important thing uh, at SoftBank, and and it's been great to just see the the way the companies embraced it, um, and and the things that we're looking to do both internally from an educational standpoint, but also how it impacts some of the business decisions we make. Who are our partners? What are they doing? How can we partner with them to extend this narrative and make sure that you know those those different and diverse and and need of inclusive communities are being served. So it, it's. Uh, <laughs> long journey. Like I said, it could be a whole podcast because I could get into each of those elements, but it, it's it's something that is deep in me um, just from my makeup and who I am. And I, I'm happy to have been a part of Companies That Care.
1: Yeah, man, that's, that is awesome. Thank you for walking us through that. And I think you're 100% right. That should be another podcast. I think we should do that you know, in in five, six months and break that down and really learn about kind of the X's and O's. But I mean, one of the overarching themes I heard from you there was just authenticity, that every step of the way, like that was just kind of who you were. And these, you know, these opportunities came from, um, from a place of like authentically really caring and feeling it. Uh, And and I think that's, um, that's just like a good reminder for a lot of these initiatives is, is coming from a place of like really authentically trying to help um, can go a long way. So Cass, listen, this has been so fun. Um, I am already excited to have you back on the podcast. Um, we love to finish with one final question. Um, and that question is, looking back on, you know, nine years Cass hanging out near the panhandle underneath Sutro tower um, getting ready to go home for dinner with mom Um, if you were to kind of show up as you are today and talk to that version of yourself what would be like one piece of advice you would give yourself looking back on the journey
2: um I think it's important to to not take anything for granted and if you have a desire um to no dream is too small, right? I think there are things as you're growing up and trying to understand, well, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? Um, Best advice I ever gotten, I, I still feel like I struggle to follow it, is find what you love to do and make a career out of that and you will never work a day in your life. Now, it sounds super cliche, but if as you go through your own education and are going through your own career, if you find something that you are passionate about and enjoy doing, man, there's gotta be a way for that to be the career for you and, and, and the thing that you should chase and, and follow, right? So for me, I realized very quickly, not quickly, but out of school that it was marketing. I loved marketing. I loved the, the allure of promoting and seeing people come in who I'd actually had conversations with on the street, come to our events and, and what have you. And so uh, the where I'm at now and what we're doing with robotics is like it, it's a marketer's dream come true. We're building a brand. Yes, people know who SoftBank is, but they don't really know SoftBank Robotics. Um, people don't really know what an autonomous solution is. And and we're trying to create the marketplace and drive the sales of a particular product. It's, it's the trifecta of a marketer's dream job. And it's great, uh, but it took me, you know, my entire career to get here. Um, and I don't necessarily regret any of those steps. Um, I would say pay more attention. If I were to go back to my nine-year-old self is pay more attention to the things that you care about and, and turn that into something, you know, try to, try to make that happen, make those dreams happen. So um, it's just, Follow your heart, really, is is what I would say earlier, right? You don't have to, like, <laughs> you didn't have to spend four years trying to figure out how to be a lawyer when you knew you didn't really want to be a lawyer, basically. And so I, that would have been advice I could have given my nine-year-old self. It's
0: it's good advice. And whoever's listening, whether they're nine or another age, I'm sure they would appreciate it. Well, Cass, this has been great. Um, one of the reasons Robbie and I started this podcast is to allow people another way to share their story. And we're grateful that you shared yours with us today. Yeah, absolutely. And lots of actionable insights. The last thing I'll just, I uh, would love the listeners, if they want to get in touch, A, would be would you be open to that? And B, what's the best outlet for people if they want to connect? with
2: uh, You You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to connect with folks and share. My, as you heard, you can't shut me up, basically. Uh, I'm <laughs> happy to share my story. So uh, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Cass or Cassim Dawson. Um, and I'm happy to connect and, and figure out ways that we can, you know, I can help you. You can help me. It's a, it's a two-way street. It's a win-win. Well, thanks so much. We appreciate you for
0: jumping on and I can't thank you enough.
2: My pleasure. Thank you guys. Thanks, Cass.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Oracle NetSuite. One of the most time consuming and stressful activities at my last startup was pulling the monthly reports we needed to, to prepare for our board meeting. You see, we were using a combination of homegrown solutions, spreadsheets, and QuickBooks, and made the mistake of allowing our technology and tech stack to slow us down. Don't make the same mistake we did. Upgrade today with Oracle NetSuite. The beauty of Oracle NetSuite is that it gives you the visibility and control you need over your financials, HR, inventory, sales, and much more. Everything you need, all in one place, instantly. Join over 21,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let their team at NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com scale. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com scale.